Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Of course, there are other national parks with dark skies that aren't on this list. Like, I jotted a few down that I think would be great stargazing. I put down, and you can add to this, Matt, if you are think these of in any. Al- I'm sorry. No, these, these, are, <laughs> these are in alphabetical no, order? No, these are not. Okay. These are random thoughts. <laughs> okay, you had okay. time to prepare. You're going to put them in alphabetical <laughs> order like my list. But go ahead. That's all right. That's fine. This is the Dear Bob and Sue podcast, stories from our journey to all the U.S. national parks and other public lands. I'm Matt Smith. And I'm Karen Smith. We're the authors of the Dear Bob and Sue series of books. In this episode, we're talking about a special category of public lands called Dark Sky Parks. These are areas that have been certified by the International Dark Sky Association as being excellent places to view the night sky. Who hasn't stared in awe at the Milky Way and been lost in wonder thinking about the billions of stars that make up our galaxy, and then realized that this vast, star-filled neighborhood of ours is only one of billions of galaxies in the universe? Is that a real question? Wait, are you asking me that? Yes, yes I am. I'm asking you. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. I'm just trying to be dramatic to get the audience excited about the best places to go to stargaze. Well, then let's get to it. We have a lot of great information about some of the darkest places in the United States. Coming up next. You know, Karen, one of your favorite things, and I don't know if this is a recent obsession, but one of your favorite things to do these days is to go see the Milky Way. Because I never saw the Milky Way until I was like 40 years old, or maybe 50. I think the first time was when we went to Great Basin National Park in Nevada. And by the way, that's one of the places uh, that we'll talk about the Dark Sky Parks. So that was during our first round of visiting all the national parks. And we stayed in that tiny little town of Baker, Nevada, remember? Yes, we stayed at the Stargazer Inn. <laughs> right, maybe, right. Maybe that gave you the idea mm-hmm. to go back into the park at night once the sun had gone down to see the night sky. Yeah, we drove back in. We pulled the car off the side of the road and we sat on the hood and kind of leaned back against the windshield and we watched the stars come out in the Milky Way. And... It was like nothing I had ever seen in my life. I'm, I'm kind of embarrassed to admit that. Like I was so old by the time I saw that, but it's true. Until something ran across your foot. <laughs> <laughs> 
there were a lot of little creatures out there at night who were stargazing with us. Yeah, that's the thing about dark skies is that uh, you're not sure what's down by your feet. Yeah, and then we saw a shadow run across the desert. And I think it was a big jackrabbit, but they have rabbits out there that are the size of kangaroos. Or maybe I think we thought it was a pack of wolves. Anyway, yeah, we we enjoyed watching the Milky Way until something ran across your foot, and then it was time to go back to the Stargazer Inn. That's right. But Great Basin is a fantastic place to watch the stars. One of the reasons is because there is uh, really no civilization around there. I mean, Baker, Nevada is teeny tiny. Population, probably 20 people. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of out in the middle of nowhere, which is one of the advantages of these some of these dark sky parks is just their location. Right, exactly. I know since then, after our journey to all the parks, then we started backpacking. And, and then I started asking you, because you always have to get out of the tent in the middle of the night to pee like seven times. Well, maybe I'm doing other things. Maybe that's, <laughs> maybe that's just my excuse. <laughs> maybe I'm scouting out other camp, camp spots. In the middle of the night. Yeah, and so I always want you to wake me up if you happen to go out and the, and the Milky Way is out and the stars are brilliant. And so far, you have never once woken me up. I am not falling for this. <laughs> After 40 years of marriage, I know better. Yeah, that's, that's not going to happen. I'm, I'm not going to poke the bear. <laughs> In the middle of I'm the bear. uh, You know, no, I'm not. I'm not going to wake you up. (laughs) That's probably a good idea. But one place that I did see a ton of stars at night while we were camping was when we did the dory trips on the Colorado River through the Grand Canyon because. That first trip that we did in 2016, we slept outside of the tent, just in our sleeping bags on the sand for that very reason, so that if we woke up in the middle of the night, we could just see, see the incredible skies there. Those were really great skies to see when we were just lying there and there was nothing between us and and the stars. But that does bring up another point that if you're planning to go somewhere to see a dark sky... You want to look at the moon phases oh, right. and the, the schedule of the moon because there were a couple of nights in the Grand Canyon where, yeah, it would have been perfect uh, stargazing, but the moon was shining so bright. It was like literally like headlights coming at us, but usually that doesn't last all night long or at least only last part of the night. But yeah, we covered... We covered those Grand Canyon trips, those Dory trips in episode 22 and 23. Yes, we did. If anyone wants to go back and listen to those and hear about everything that happened on those trips, pretty amazing to be down there in the remoteness of the Grand Canyon. An appreciation of the night sky is one of those uh, things that we wouldn't have guessed at or or predicted when we started going to all the national parks and then all these other great public lands, but... Yeah, it's, it's pretty spectacular when you get to these dark places and see the Milky Way with no moonlight. Uh, it, it's really a different experience than just sitting on your front porch at home. Well, yeah, and I think one of the reasons that I didn't see the Milky Way for many decades of my life is because we always lived in suburbs and cities, and uh, I just don't think I had the opportunity. And plus, you know, I usually go to bed at 8 o'clock, and so that... <laughs> Yeah, that <laughs> kind of rules it out too. Wake you up <laughs> in a couple of hours when the sun goes down. <laughs> but before we get started talking about the dark sky parks, let's talk about light pollution. Everyone's favorite topic. Light pollution. Karen, what is light pollution? 
Light pollution is any artificial light that's not needed and that has serious and harmful consequences. So light pollution can... I have several bullet points here I will read off. All right. (laughs) It can disrupt wildlife, negatively impact human health, waste money and energy, contribute to climate change, and, of course, block our view of the universe. When I was looking up this information, I read that light pollution is increasing at two times the rate of population growth and, get this, 83% of the global population lives under a light-polluted sky. You know, humans evolved to the rhythms of the natural light slash dark cycle of day and night. And so now the spread of artificial lighting means that most of us no longer truly experience the dark nights. Wait, wait, go back to the negatively affect human health point. This is what I've been telling you for years and you've never believed me. What are you talking about? You know, when at night when all the lights in the motel rooms bother me. The light pollution in the room. I can't sleep at night. I have to cover all the lights. I usually carry duct tape with me, and then I put the duct tape over all the LEDs in the hotel room. Oh, yeah, that. Sometimes I forget the duct tape, and I have to use (laughs) (laughs) Band-Aids. It's all coming back to me now. (laughs) Yeah, or I have to prop menus against them, you know? I mean, this, this last trip we did in Oregon, remember we turned off the lights? It was like... The Milky Way was in our hotel room. There was the microwave, the coffee maker, the TV. There was a heat pump and the clock radio. The clock radio, you could land a plane with the light coming off the (laughs) clock radio. That was really bright. I'll give you that. Yeah, and I've been made fun of for years. For putting the duct tape on? Not only by you, but then you encourage other people to make fun of me. So, <laughs> Okay, I may, I may have been less than sensitive to your issues with the LEDs, but it did seem to me that if you just simply closed your eyes, the issue would be resolved. But now that I have read all that uh, stuff about light pollution, it does seem like there is a problem in the way that lights are affecting us. Anyway, that's what I've been saying. So I I think it's probably time for a public apology. You could just apologize now and get it over with. I'll make a public acknowledgement that that your issues are real. How's that? No, no, no. If you need a little bit more time, that's fine. Anyway, I'll try to be a little more sympathetic and understanding in the future. How's that? Well, I hope that's what we've learned from this. And you know what's interesting? You were talking about the LED lights. Those those are actually the worst because they're brighter. Yeah, and they, they go right through my eyelids. Yes, they it, they emit blue light. And so even oh, though... That blue light will get you. Yeah. Even that's though my problem. <laughs> one of your problems. <laughs> so even though... Obviously, LEDs are more energy efficient, and the world is is switching to LEDs. It's actually worse for light pollution. All right, so where can we go to get away from light pollution? Not any hotel room we've ever stayed in. We have no suggestions. <laughs> we have a lot of suggestions. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Here, That's ne- what this episode is about. Never mind. Never, yeah. Okay. So, where do we suggest? You know, one thing that helped. We actually do a little bit of research for every episode. It's not Mm -hmm. like we're winging it here. One thing that helped in our research is we came across an article on the National Parks Traveler website. And they've they've got a great website. Uh, The gentleman who started that and continues to run it does great articles about our national parks. And there is an article out there titled, 
your search for the National Park System's darkest skies lead to Utah. And we'll put a link to that article in the show notes of this episode. But we learned a lot about dark sky and dark sky parks from that article. Exactly. And actually, the National Parks Traveler website has many articles about the dark sky parks. So that's a great resource if you're interested. Check out his website. He also has other great information about the national parks. So what is a dark sky park? This designation, it's given out by the International Dark Sky Association, and it's not-for-profit. And on their website, it gives the definition of what an international dark sky park is. And I'll just read it for you since it's a specific definition. It's a land possessing an exceptional or distinguished quality of starry nights and a nocturnal environment that is specifically protected for its scientific, natural, educational, cultural heritage, and or public enjoyment. The land may be publicly owned or privately owned, provided that the landowners consent to the right of permanent ongoing public access to specific areas included in the IDA designation. So that's the definition of a dark sky park. This International Dark Sky Places program was founded in 2001 to encourage communities, parks, and protected areas around the world to preserve and protect dark sites through responsible lighting policies and public education. And that organization, it has five types of designations, but the one we're going to talk about today is Dark Sky Parks. That's that's one of the specific designations. To earn this designation, the park has to apply for it. So the Dark Sky Park Association isn't going out and doing their own research and finding these places. The park has to apply and go through some steps. So what does it take, Matt, to get the designation? I know it takes more than just filling out an application, and I read that it can take as long as three years to get the certification. Well, you know, it's important to point out that like not all dark sky parks are the same. Some areas, even if they all have that same designation, some are darker than others. But at minimum, you have to be able to see the Milky Way within the park. Mm -hmm. And so this list of dark sky parks, it includes national parks, national monuments, state parks, places in the U.S. and, and also internationally. So the first parks to be certified were, no surprise, some of the Utah parks. Natural Bridges National Monument was the very first dark sky park in 2007. Yeah, and then in 2015, Capitol Reef and Cedar Breaks got their designation, and Bryce Canyon and Arches got their designation in 2017. There are over 80 parks in the United States that are certified at this time. And the URL to this site with the listing of them all is what, Matt? Darkskyparks.org? Yeah, and we'll also put that uh, link in uh, in the show notes of, of this episode. Uh, we're not going to read off all of the names, but uh, if you look at the parks in the U.S., there's a bunch of them from Antelope Island State Park in, in Utah to Dinosaur National Monument to Goosenecks uh, State Park to Kodachrome Basin State Park. And, and they're not all, I, I just listed a few that are actually in the West and Utah area, but they're, they're all over the United States. So go to that website if you're interested and see a list of all the parks. Right. Especially if you're planning your travels in a certain area, you could check out the website, check out the list and see if there are some dark sky parks close to where you are traveling to. The National Park Service has a slogan, half the park is after dark. 
So in other words, if you don't experience the night when you visit a park, you're missing out on half of what it has to offer. I was curious about which parks that are designated national parks are certified, so I jotted them down. Do you want to read them, Matt? Okay, yeah, I'll read them. Here they, here they go. Uh, all right, I'll read them. Here I go. Okay, okay, I'll, okay. all right. I'll read, I'll read them. You're making me laugh. Stop. I can't read them while I'm laughing. Okay, here we go. Arches National Park, Big Bend, Black Canyon of the Gunnison, Bryce Canyon, Canyonlands, Capitol Reef, Death Valley, Grand Canyon, Great Basin, Great Sand Dunes, National Park and Preserve. I, I've left the National Park off of all these names. Got it. <laughs> Joshua Tree, Mammoth Cave, Mesa Verde, Petrified Forest, Voyagers, Waterton Glacier International Peace Park, and in alphabetical order, Zion National Park. Yeah, you know, there weren't as many as I thought there would be. Of course, there are other national parks with dark skies that aren't on this list. Like, I jotted a few down that I think would be great stargazing. I put down, and you can add to this, Matt, if you are think these of in any. Al- I'm sorry. No, these, these, are, are, <laughs> these are in alphabetical no, order? No, these are not. Okay. These are random thoughts. <laughs> okay, you had okay. time to prepare. You're going to put them in alphabetical order like my list. But go ahead. That's, all, that's fine. Okay. Badlands, North Cascades. Teddy Roosevelt, Yellowstone, Redwoods, Lassen Volcanic, Dry Tortugas, my favorite Carlsbad Caverns, I, I feel like is a dark sky park, Sequoia Kings Canyon. <laughs> Wait a second. It's a cave. <laughs> okay. Well, Mammoth Cave made the list. Oh, uh, okay. All right. Uh, where was I? Continue, Se- please. Thank you. Sequoia Kings Canyon and all of the Alaska parks, except in the summer, of course, when it never gets completely dark at night. Although the list of certified parks is constantly growing. So maybe some of these parks are in the application process, right? And and there's also some national monuments on the list as well that we didn't read. Right. There's a lot of national monuments. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. When a park is certified, a dark sky park, that's not the end of it, right? They have to uh, maintain their status. It's not just a certificate that's handed to them and then they're done. Right. And a lot of times these parks will actually have to do some remediation in the park in order to get their certification, uh, shield some light bulbs from pointing upward or eliminate lights that aren't totally necessary. So they have to continue to maintain that status on an ongoing basis. Now, in that article we talked about, the National Park Traveler article, talking specifically about the Utah parks. and And I mentioned that not all the dark sky parks are equally dark. The article mentioned that there's a tier of dark sky parks in Utah, starting at the top. Hovenweep and Rainbow Bridge National Monuments are the darkest in Utah. And, and mainly that's because they're just so far away from other cities and any kind of infrastructure. But then kind of the next tier down would be Goosenecks State Park, Natural Bridges National Monument, Capitol Reef National Park, 
Goblin Valley State Park, and Kodachrome Basin State Park. So those are some of the darkest areas in Utah that are also dark sky parks. As we mentioned before, all five Utah national parks are certified dark sky parks. And I was kind of surprised that Arches is on the list because, you know, sitting right outside of Moab, Moab is very developed now with all kinds of lighting. Yeah. And that brings up a point that the parks aren't in 100% control of all the issues, right? Right. Uh, If they're near a metropolitan area that that has... uh, a lot of light at night. There's not a whole lot that they can do about that. But yeah, I, I was a little surprised too. Maybe Moab's not putting out that much light. Maybe just the way the park is situated, it's not getting a lot of light from Moab. I don't know. We have not stargazed in arches. No, we haven't stargazed. We've been there at sunset mm-hmm. quite a few times, uh, but then we're usually heading to Zach's for pizza <laughs> right, right after that <laughs> instead of stargazing. <laughs> A lot of the parks um, have shown a huge commitment to this dark sky program. For instance, the Grand Canyon. Now, Grand Canyon National Park spent years surveying every single light bulb inside the park to determine what it was doing, who was using it, was it necessary, and how to shield it if it was. They changed the lighting that needed changing, and they subsequently improved the view of the sky from everywhere, from on the rim to down below on the river. I guess a single light on the Desert View Watchtower used to be visible at night to every rafting trip on the river. Grand Canyon National Park also developed programs to educate their visitors about the importance of preserving the dark skies. So that's an example of what it takes not only to become certified, but to stay certified. It's like an ongoing process of analyzing your lighting and making sure that it's it's the absolute bare minimum that it could be. And one of the benefits of doing that is also, I know that some parks, they have uh, ranger-led tours at night to mm-hmm. go stargazing. So there's the added benefit then once once you get to that point, you're able to take visitors out and uh, appreciate the night sky. Yeah, and we're going to talk about some of those evening programs in a minute. Well, when these parks get certified, there's no authority given to them once once they get the designation. It's just a really, it's merely an indication of the fact that the park is a great place to see the night sky and, and to, to some extent, the park's commitment to keeping the sky dark. That's what the designation is mm-hmm. all about. Right. So let's say that people are traveling and they want to experience the night sky. Let's talk about a few ways that they can do that. Well, you have to go at night. <laughs> okay. So a couple of things about that. Yeah. Some parks will let you hang out as long as you want. We have parked in a legal parking spot, pulled out our camp chairs and sat there until the stars came out. And in most parks, that's fine. Now you need to double check the closing hours because there are a few parks that are closed to vehicles at dusk. I'm thinking of Saguaro and White Sands. You cannot do that in those parks. So you want to double check the rules. But if the park is open all night, you are welcome to hang out and watch the stars come out. Yeah, you definitely want to check to make sure there's no gate that's going to be closed behind you. And it is worth going to the visitor center or flagging a ranger down and, and asking what the protocol is for viewing the night sky. We, we had a situation where we were at Carlsbad Caverns and we were there for the bat flight program. And after, and of course, that's at dusk. And when the program was over, it was, it was dark. And once all the other visitors left, we stayed and, like you said, we pulled out our, our chairs and, and uh, 
sat there and watched the dark sky and, and a ranger came through and and he came up to us and said uh you know, you guys can watch the night sky all you want, as long as you want. You just can't camp. And the definition of camping is as soon as you fall asleep, you're a camper. <laughs> right. And so he was very nice about it, but he was pointing out that seeing the night sky and, and stargazing is different than camping and that, uh, you know, when you're finished looking at the stars, you, you have to go somewhere else to sleep. But on the flip side, if you can camp in these dark sky parks, that's the absolute best, I think, because sometimes the stars in the Milky Way don't come out until two or three in the morning, and it would be impossible to sit there and wait up for that, or at least for most people, I couldn't. <laughs> you should have somebody wake you up in the middle of the night. I know, that's what I'm saying. So if you can camp in these places, especially, I would love to camp in natural bridges. I saw they have a small campground. Uh, again, that was the first dark sky park. I would love to camp there. Or Hovenweep. Yes. I think there's a campground at Hovenweep mm -hmm. also. That would be a good one. That would be a good one. But you could also check out the stargazing programs that are offered in the evenings at some of the parks. I know that Bryce Canyon offers, they offer about 100 astronomy programs throughout the year. And they're presented by astronomy rangers and some volunteers. And they have an astronomy festival. Did you know that, Karen? For four days in the summer. I know. I would love to go to that. Another one I would love to go to is the Grand Canyon has what they call a star party. And those dates this summer are June 18th through the 25th. Events include an evening program nightly in the Visitor Center Theater at 8 p.m., followed by telescope viewing behind the Grand Canyon Visitor Center. And park rangers will offer constellation tours at 9, 9.30 and 10 p.m. So all the info for this is on the park website. And these are just two examples of the many dark sky events that are happening all over in the parks. Yeah, like we said, we will put the uh, darksky.org URL on in the show notes, although that's that is the URL, darksky.org. There you can look at all the their documents about what the requirements are for parks, and, and um, then it has a list of all the dark sky parks internationally. So you can take a look at those. And that's a great list, but those aren't the only places to see the night sky. Right. One of the best places where we've seen the night sky was in Glen Canyon National Recreation Area, specifically on Lake Powell. Friends invited us for a few days on their houseboat. This was uh, one summer a few years ago. And that was a blast. We had several families, and at bedtime, we all slept on the uh, upper deck of the houseboat. But going to bed on a houseboat in the middle of Lake Powell, there's a series of activities that take place before you actually fall asleep. It usually starts with defending the boat from all the mice <laughs> who decide that, well, they know when you're going to bed, right? And so these houseboats are usually tied to shore and you, you throw these big three-quarter or inch inch thick ropes on the shore. You tie like six or eight of them to big boulders on the shore just in case the wind hits you from any angle, you're still going to be secure. But these ropes then become little gangplanks for all the mice. <laughs> Welcome. Yeah, Welcome so to our houseboat, which we then started calling the, the mouse the boat. The mouse boat. So <laughs> we had to use various tactics to protect the boat. We, we cut holes in the center of paper plates, and then we threaded the paper plates onto the ropes. 
And then, of course, when the mice got to the plates, it was like a stop sign. They, they couldn't get past that, and they decided to go somewhere else. <laughs> we were saved by a five-cent paper plate. That's right. But that only took three days to figure <laughs> out. <laughs> Before that, there were, there were several instances of you wanting to jump off the boat to get away from the tiny mouse, the one tiny mouse that was on the boat. But anyway, so that's step one of mm. going to bed. Step two is actually everybody scouting out and claiming their spot on, on the upper deck. And w- once you lay down and all the lights are out. There's something before the stars come out, and that is the bats come out. It's the bats. Bat show. Mm-hmm. We had our own bat flight program, <laughs> and th- I th- I thought that was pretty cool. Now they they come out and they're doing their job. They're eating the insects, which is a good mm-hmm. thing, right? You don't clean up crew. But I swear, a couple of times they grazed us. Yeah, while we were laying there, like I could feel I could feel them hit my chest a couple of times, which. I don't know why, but it didn't freak me out. I just thought it was pretty cool. Well, we've come a long way, or or maybe it's just me, but I used to be afraid of bats. Um, I used to always think that they would, you know, bite me and they would have rabies and things. But after many visits to the parks that have caves, especially um, Carlsbad Caverns, we learned a lot about bats. Namely, the number one thing is bats are our friends <laughs> and very, very necessary. And yeah, they were like the cleanup crew. They were eating all the bugs that were above our heads. And it was pretty cool to watch them. You know what we should do, Matt? Next Halloween, we should do um, an episode about bats because we have a lot. We we do have a lot of bat stories. We have a lot of bat stories. Good good bat stories. Yeah, and a lot of actually really cool things about bats that most people don't know that we don't have time to go into today. Well, and the thing I thought was unusual about that also is they didn't stick around for that long. They came through, ate the bugs they wanted to eat, and about 20 minutes later, they were gone. They they didn't come back the rest rest of the night. So they they have to make the rounds. They've got a lot of places to visit. They have to feed all night. So got rid of the mice, got rid of the bats, and then the star show. And one of the coolest things about both Lake Powell and the Grand Canyon is you have these canyon walls that are all around you. And then you have the Milky Way and the stars in the middle. So you can see the canyon walls. They sort of frame the sides of this night sky. So it's even more beautiful than just being out in an open area. Right. So the point here is, uh, yeah, go to the darksky.org site to see the list of dark sky parks. But there are a lot of other great places, particularly areas that are away from major cities where you can see the Milky Way as as well. So if you're going to a park, check with the visitor center and and ask them about, uh, about their night sky and where's the best place to see it. So we've mentioned a lot of places in Utah that are on the list, but Arizona has quite a few as well. Do you have a list of Arizona parks? In, <laughs> in alphabetical, alphabetical order. And, Matt, yeah, thank you. Matt, why don't you read those for us? Okay. Okay. Chiricahua National Monument, Grand Canyon National Park, Karchner Caverns State Park, Oracle State Park, Parashant National Monument, Pipe Spring National Monument, Petrified Forest National Park, Sunset Crater Volcanic National Monument, Tumum Kerry, tu, is that Tuma Tumakakori? Tumakakori National Historical Park. So anyone going to Tumakakori National Historic Park, 
look at the sky at night. Go ahead. I, I'm, re- I'm reading here. I'm reading <laughs> Tonta to- <laughs> National Monument, Walnut Canyon National, Walnut Canyon National Monument, Wapatki. Got that one on the first try. Wapatki National Monument. And that's it. Thank you for tuning in to our episode. I believe it's. <laughs> you can't say it either. Tuma Kakari. Tuma Kakari. That's what I National said. Historical Park. I spelled it out phonetically for you there. Got it. I don't think it helps. <laughs> <laughs> you don't think it helps? What was your first clue? So I remember one of our visits to Joshua Tree National Park. We had met with the chief ranger there in his office, and we were chatting with him about the park. And he told us that they get a lot of visitors from Los Angeles, from the Los Angeles area. And he said that all of the kids who come to the park from Los Angeles, and a lot of them are on field trips, and they come and they camp. And he said, none of them have ever seen the stars, any stars before. That just kind of touched me that just the kind of experiences that the kids can have and adults, kids of any size, when they go to these dark sky places and and they see the stars for the first time and they see the Milky Way for the first time. Yeah, it it is a spectacular sight and something that everyone should see. I can remember the first time I stood at the edge of the Grand Canyon and looked over and that kind of experience. The Milky Way, I think when you see it for the first time and really are in a dark area where you're seeing it well, it's almost like the same experience. It's it's really awe-inspiring. It's magical. It's It's magical. (laughs) It's completely magical. Forget about awe-inspiring. It's magical. (laughs) No, it is awe-inspiring and magical and just absolutely incredible. So one note, International Dark Sky Week is April 22nd through the 30th of 2022. So that is a great time to go out and spend some time looking up in a dark sky park. Yeah, and if you miss Dark Sky Week, then the sky will be dark again the week after. (laughs) And every other week. Okay, thanks for tuning in to this episode. And a shout out to all of our podcast friends listening in Taiwan. I see that we had over 100 episode downloads this past month from Taiwan. Very exciting to have them as part of our audience. It's very exciting. We're so happy that you're joining us. You know what else is exciting, Matt? What? We will post a couple of links in the show notes of this episode. One will be to the National Parks Traveler article about Utah Dark Sky Parks. And another link will be to the International Dark Sky Association website, where you can see a full list of the parks. Next week we'll have another mailbag episode. So we're going to change mailbag up a little. We're still going to answer questions from listeners, but we're going to try to make it clearer in the title of the episode, what we're going to talk about. So we'll give a little bit more information in the description so that you know what the topics are covered in that episode. And remember, keep sending your mailbag questions to us at mattandkarensmith at gmail.com. See you next time. You know, they don't actually see us. So it should be. Hear us next time. It doesn't sound like it.